Hey, this is James from the Ludic Language Pedagogy Podcast, and I am joined with my co-host Tobias. And today, and today we are going to be interviewing Graham Stanley. Graham, um, it's lovely to meet you. I have known about you and your work for as long as I've been uh, teaching with games. In fact, I think um, you were the, one of the first people that I um, learned about in terms of um, teachers using games in language teaching. And you used to run a blog way back in the day, and that that was my introduction to you. Um, what do you still run that blog, or what what was the blog called? Do you remember? Yes, the blog uh, was called Digital Play. But um, before we get into the details, actually, I'd just like to say, you know, I'm I'm very um, admire I admire what you're doing here with LLP, and uh, and the more I become familiar with it, the more I I, I enjoy enjoy it you know i think it's a fabulous idea to bring the community together um you know digital and tabletop and all other types of gaming um but also academic and practitioners practitioners etc because i think there's there are too many silos when it comes to uh, a lot of language teaching and i think any initiatives to to stop people from being in those silos, silos is is to be admired. So, big round of applause from me. Thank you very much, Graham. That that's really uh, humbling to to hear. Thank you. And yeah, definitely, that is the goal of our our journal and our whole community. It's um, we, we we use the word ludic over game to be more inclusive, actually, to uh, to include play and, and simulations and, and anything that kind of steps outside of digital game, which seems to be the, uh, the prominent force at the moment. So, yeah, thank you very much, Danny. I really appreciate that. Pleasure. And, and to go back to your, your question, um, the, the blog that I set up with my colleague in Barcelona um, was called Digital Play. It still exists, but we haven't updated it for years. Um, it was a pre... Uh, pro, it was set up for us preparing to write the book, which was published in 2011. Again, the same name, Digital Play. I have it in front of me. Wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, I think, uh, you know, we're very, very happy that we managed to publish that book. Um, you know, very much a, t- a book for practitioners, for teachers in the classroom who are, who are busy, who, you know, want to open it up and do something with their class. Um, but also there's a rationale in it um, for those teachers who want to know a bit more background and and pointing to research and further reading and, and then uh, projects and other stuff. So we're very, I think we're very pleased with that, the way that mm. book turned out. Yeah, I'd say so. I think it's it definitely, it, 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 like you just mentioned, it fits into that category of, um, not highfalutin or ivory watchtower, um, watchtower, ivory tower, <laughs> ivory tower research-oriented um, dry um, um, work that doesn't have any practical application. Like you said, it's it's basically for teachers that want to put you know put their toe into the pond of or the the ocean of games and language teaching. So yeah, it's a very good introductory text. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Graham, just speaking a little bit more about you and your background, could you just give us a, a brief synopsis or a, a bio of, of your teaching um, up, up until now? 
Yeah, I'll try to be brief. Um, basically, I was a teacher of English um, as a foreign language in Barcelona, Spain, for many years. I lived in Barcelona for 18 years and working a lot with lots of different uh, age groups and, uh, and levels of students. I worked uh, at a private university of tourism. I worked for the British Council teaching centre there, teaching adults, but principally children, primary or secondary age children. And then in 2013, I moved to Uruguay uh, and took up a job as a project manager for the British Council there on a project um, which teaches via video conferencing uh, around 70,000 plus primary students across the country. That was very exciting, sort of remote teaching. Um, and then 18 months ago, I changed jobs again, and I'm now English for Educational Systems Lead for the British Council across the Americas, based in Mexico City, which means I keep an eye on the portfolio of English language teaching projects that the British Council runs in the Americas, everything from Argentina to Venezuela. Um, wow, that's fantastic. Support support teams there so i'm out of the classroom at the moment but um, interesting but i'm still very much involved in with teachers in the ia tefl teacher association mm. based in the uk in the Le learning technologies special interest group and in other sort of communities as well all right cool okay so the first three questions are about your background so Remember, the questions are designed to um, inquire into your use of games as a, as a teaching tool. I know you mentioned that you're not currently in the class. You're not a boots on the ground teacher at the moment, but this definitely will mm -hmm. apply to your experience over the years. So uh, the first question sure. is, what or who inspired you to start teaching with games in the first place? Sure. I think, well, I'd always play. I've always been attracted to games, always played games. Uh, board games when I was younger I was you know like many of the people I think that you've interviewed on on your podcast was into Dungeons and Dragons mm. also played a role-playing mm -hmm. game called Traveler with Friends when I was a teenager and then transitioned into video games you know I was someone who played arcade games with friends and then various consoles from the ZX Spectrum for anyone in the UK who who knows what that is oh yes um, <laughs> And then computer games. I think um, one of the key moments for me, which I can reflect back on, was when I was working in London um, at an architectural practice. Um, I spent a month with two other colleagues playing a game called Leisure Suit Larry. Oh, my um, goodness. <laughs> it's a blast from the past. Mm. Very politically incorrect, I think, now. But... Um, mm. Um, we were basically, the pro project was on hold and we were told by our boss that we had to look busy and there wasn't anything that he could give us. So we decided, the three of us, to play that computer game. And we sat on three computers in the office, shouting at each other, running three versions of the game, shouting at each other, and, uh, you know, when we were making progress. Looking back, that, that was a real sort of instance of social gaming and right, communicating, mm. communicating with colleagues, trying to sort of solve puzzles and stuff. So I think that, that was where I got the bug. Mm. And then, then when I became a teacher, which was years later, um, one of the first 
summer school jobs that I had as a teacher when I you know, moved to Barcelona, I became an English language teacher. Um, in summer school, a teacher brought along a PlayStation 2 um, that he set up for teachers to play on. And we actually played Tomb Raider, um, you know, in mm, breaks yeah. at the end of the day and stuff. So it was set up as a, as a, a tool for, for downtime for teachers, essentially. Yeah, basically just for us to have fun. Uh-huh. But the teacher's room had a balcony where students passed on their way to their bedrooms and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we found in the evenings that we started to have a group of students who hung out on the balcony watching us play Tomb Raider, <laughs> very <laughs> envious. And this started because we teachers, had, we hadn't played it before and we were making all these mistakes. They started shouting out instructions to us from the balcony mm. of how to play the game. And we realized, well, I realized definitely that this is really interesting that the students are really trying very hard to communicate in English with the teachers mm. outside of class. Um, because you were so useless at it, right? <laughs> because we were so useless at it. And they were getting exasperated that they couldn't come down and actually show us what to do, but they weren't allowed in the teacher's room. So they needed to talk in English to tell us what to do. And that really sort of thought, I really thought then, this is a really, there's, there's a lot here mm. that we can, that I could build upon as a teacher. Um, so then Flash, I think, again, interrupt me if you, if you need to, but flash forward to me being back in the classroom at the Young Learners Centre in Barcelona for the British Council where I worked. Um, and I had also done at that times around 2002, 2003, um, uh, Masters in um, Education in ELT and Educational Technology. And I couldn't find anyone on that Masters was, who was interested in exploring games, which I was interested in. And we had a computer room and we had a connected classroom, which is what we called um, a classroom connected to the internet with a projector and an interactive whiteboard. And so I was starting to experiment with games then. And I came across a colleague of mine, Kyle, Kyle Moore, mm-hmm. who was doing the same thing. So we had, you know, we, we started collaborating and trying out things. And, and that was really where things started getting serious and ended up turning into a blog and then a book. That's interesting. So that, to me, then sounds like the inspiration came from your personal experiences of playing games and then the, the, the balcony experience again, and then finally uh, a small, creating that small community. Well, I know it's just the two of you, but having someone to bounce ideas off was also a kind of big inspiration then, would you say? Uh, exactly. And, okay. and in Barcelona, I was ICT coordinator for the teaching centre. And so part of that was responsible for providing lesson plans for teachers when they came into the, the computer room mm-hmm. and started, um, started preparing lesson plans that involved games. Right, okay. For them. And that, you know, I saw that that, was, that went down really well with the teachers and with the students. I think that's the, the, the next question. So I'll let Toby, uh, Tobias go with this one. Yeah, uh, getting a little bit more into um, 
when you once you started rolling out uh, games into the classroom, how did how did you start? Like, what? How did you think about like the what role would games play, and, and uh, how would how did it relate to curriculum and so on? How did you like? Could you tell us a little bit about your first like concrete uh, uses of video games? Let us know. Let, yeah, yeah, let us know if it succeeded or failed as well. I think that it's interesting to find. Yeah. We've had a couple of oh, teachers. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Definitely, I think that's an important thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think, as I said, it was around 2002 or so, um, teaching and being ICT coordinator in Barcelona for the British Council Teaching Centre, um, having to prepare, you know, ideas for teachers to use the internet. A lot of the teachers didn't really, weren't very confident or comfortable using the internet or um, using computers. So it was to try and support them and help them and do, do in inset training uh, as well for the teachers um, using ICT. Um, and in my own classes, starting to use what were point-and-click flash games because mm. they were free. Right. Mm. And they were also, um, you know, they didn't require any installation of software, mm. which we mm. couldn't do on the computers. So that was important. You know, that game, the games were free. They didn't require any software installation. And also, they were quite short. Right, then, interesting. Okay. Mm. Because I think that, is, that was the key. The slots in the computer room were 20-minute slots. And so... Mm. You had to, the teachers had to either, they could do something before they brought the students in, which was always recommend, recommendable and afterwards. But then they came for their 20-minute slot um, and were kicked out with another teacher coming in after that. That doesn't sound like a long time to use a computer room in my, in my day. <laughs> no, it isn't. It isn't a long time. And also, if you get, you know, you have to consider that, some of the, you know, these were young learners and they were quite rowdy at times, so they would need some sort of, you know, settling down when they went into the computer yeah. room. Um, and then, you know, they had to be out before mm. the 20-minute time was up because the other class was coming in and stuff. So, so I suspect there wasn't like 20 minutes of effect, efficient Not really. in gaming. <laughs> now, actually, I'm, I'm thinking whether I've got that right because it does sound like far too smaller time maybe mm. 20 minutes of effective time and a half an hour of half an hour slot mm. uh, you know my memory's failing at, at the moment mm. but i think that probably it, i think it was really mm. we were talking about 20 minute activities basically mm. but uh, you still have to really make those even though it w was 20 minutes you, i imagine you really have to make those minutes count in some way yeah that's why we would we would design as ict coordinator would design lesson plans, for example, or mm. suggest activities that, that started in the classroom. So they did okay. sort of pre-work and then yeah. mm. follow-up work in, back in the classroom that didn't require access to the computers. And then post-work as well. That makes sense. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Um, so what do you think you're following on the same question? Um, not, not, I'm not moving on to question three. I'm still interested in this start point, actually. Sure. Um, would you say that at that point in time, your confidence or as a lesson designer or, you know, well, essentially I'm trying to get to the, the idea of did you iterate anything? Um, did you have multiple chances to see the students working on it? And did you in, um, improve the lesson plans each time or, you know, let us know about yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. That 
that was one of the benefits of that that role is right. that quite often I would be with the teacher and the students in the computer room as they were um, using the lesson plans. That's fantastic. So it's like you're kind of observing your lesson plan in action. Wow. Exactly. And then could change it based on that. So that was mm. that was crucial, I think. Um, so you could get feedback from both the students I, and the teacher found, as well, right? Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So you got mm. feedback from the students just by observing them, but also mm. you know the opportunity to say, "What did you think? Did you like that? Did that work?" Mm. At the end of the uh, session. I got that. Got me curious. What do you remember? How did the students usually respond, and how the, how did they, and and how did these games, like these flash games, uh, relate to the kinds of games that the students or some of the students were already playing? And yeah, like, fantastic question. Were they? Were they recognizable to them or in some way? Or was this like, oh, this is new and exciting and cool and stuff? Or Sure. Um, well, that so many questions. The... <laughs> no, that's a great <laughs> question. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think one of the things why I became very interested in, in using games for these activities was that it was a, back then, um, it was a world that um, most teachers were not part of. Most of the teachers that I worked with they didn't play games mm. but just about all of the students did so mm. games was not brought into the classroom by most teachers and mm -hmm. i was a gamer i i was still playing games at home uh, still you know love loved spending time playing games so i found an incredible motivation from students when you started talking about games, it was like it was a door that was closed when they entered the classroom for most mm. students. And so for the teacher to actually take an interest in being able to um, reference some of these games and things like, you know, things we put into the book later, like asking students to describe game worlds or characters, you know, that didn't require actually access to computers. Right, yeah. about computer games tangential became, right, yeah. became mm. a very interesting way of getting students to speak and and to motivate them in the classroom mm. to, to meet them at their level right exactly mm. and to you, you you said, know, really I think... talk to them about things that interested them which is yeah. the whole point of young learners you need well, to engage them i think that's a, such an important point to touch on that because you're not if if you do this this way, which which I would that this to me seems like one of the like correct ways or, or more 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 enjoyable and and I mean con constructive ways of doing it is you're not only bringing these cultural artifacts, but you're also bringing in the discourse that goes along with them, in a sense. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. Stanley, I just wanted um, to. I, I called you Stanley because your Discord name is Stanley. <laughs> Graham. Graham. I just wanted to check. I think I don't know if I misheard, but you said that the door was closed to students when they walked into the classroom. When I think you only said that the door was open to them, perhaps. Um, what I meant was, yeah, when the students usually went into the classroom. Okay, usually went in. Okay, I see. Mm. So no, no. I mean, when what I what I wanted to say was when the students were in the classroom, part of their world that was very important to them, ah, important okay. to them outside of the classroom was closed if you like mm. understood understood okay so I'll, this I'll edit world that of in. gaming that was so important to many students if not all of the students really wasn't mm. wasn't a subject that came up at all right usually right right it's actually class. very very pertinent to, to what we're just talking about on the llp slack in in general actually about 
um, to Tobias's use of games in Norway. And I think you were basically saying the same thing about your use of games, right, Tobias? Yes, because because what we often or or some people often, or at least people teachers who don't play games themselves don't always realize is that um, this is like especially when it comes to like narrative games and stuff uh, you have the same like basic concepts like different narrative concepts just expressed in a different if through different modes in many games mm -hmm. so many students already have like strong opinions on like what constitutes a good story or or engaging story and so on they had all these opinions that you can build upon in the classroom if you just angle it, your questions correctly i guess mm. and use the artifacts that they're used to which in this case yes. is games right yeah okay Yes. Fantastic. Well, very interesting. A big group hug right there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to move on to the next question before we get sure. too uh too soppy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that you've you've basically answered this one, but uh, how long it's a three-part question. How long have you been teaching with games? In what subjects and how often would you use games in your teaching typically? Sure, well, back then when I discovered through talking to the students or this sort of channel, this rich channel of, of, of interest. And um, I would use games very frequently. Um, I became fascinated with the potential of doing that. And so long, you know, so long as I was able to adapt what I was doing to the syllabus, um, there wasn't any, you know, I had the flexibility and the freedom to do what I wanted really, um, mm. you know, uh, in that way so you know the the games that we started myself and kyle realizing that really held the most potential were these point and click um adventure type games especially the escape games so anything that had puzzles that required solutions that the students need to find clues or go to particular spaces and in, the, in these game worlds became very interesting to use um and then discovering the walkthrough um you know the the idea of instructions that were posted online um, oh yes we're very familiar with game facts <laughs> yes mm -hmm. um generally nowadays many walkthroughs are, are videos correct but, yeah um, you're right back yeah. then back then they were all in english and or just about all in english and written and you could take mm. those as instructions for things like the puzzle game uh, games. The game that became very popular was this one called Motas, still around flash game, mystery of time and space. It's called, but it's basically an escape room game. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very, very difficult to complete, but very engaging. Um, and that was really the, you know, the, the key. I remember a particular class of seven, Seven-year-olds, I think, or maybe ten-year-olds playing Motas level one in our 20-minute slot in the computer room with a, with a walkthrough. And at the end of the session, they were beaming. And some of them said, look, we want to, can you give us a link to the game? Hmm. And so I gave them a link to the game. And I printed out the whole walkthrough and I made photocopies. And there was around 12 pages of instructions in English of how to complete the game. And I said, oh, you might need these to be able to finish it thinking it's worth a go and then the next class 
you know, I asked them about it at the beginning of class. There was about, you know, six of the students, I think, were interested in doing it. And pretty much they all finished the game. Right. And I asked them how they managed to finish the game. And they said, well, we used your instructions. And I was like, so they read 12 pages of <laughs> without me asking them to. Mm-hmm. And that was a real eureka moment for me. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, something that I realized that were very few of the there certainly weren't, weren't any teachers that I knew were doing any with games. And so I knew that was something that I really wanted to, um, to do more of. So, um, and it was always English language teaching. Right. But apart, I mean, I worked at a university, private university of tourism as well in Barcelona. And I started, I moved on to um, using Second Life with them, doing a, I did. I designed a, a course, a, like a semester course on virtual tourism. But that's that's another story. Okay. I don't know if you want me to talk a little bit about that or, <laughs> or not. Second life. Wow. I think we need that as a different podcast. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, a, um, it's another rabbit hole. Hmm. Mm. Oh, this, this, uh, I sense there's a whole bunch of rabbit, potential rabbit holes we uh, would do. If we want to keep this <laughs> within the limits, it would be wise to just at least just gently peek down and not fall completely into, yes, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, yeah um, I think so. So uh, moving on to the next like, group of questions, they, uh, they, uh, reg- uh, they are deal with the classroom context, a little more concrete institutional sure. and, and concrete context, context of, of uh, the way you approach video games. Or, the, or games in general. So uh, could you just first tell us a little bit about or what kind of institution you work at? Sure, yeah. Um, or I'm, did work at, I guess, as, or, as a uh, teacher. Did, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, did work at, yeah. Exactly, because my role is very different now. Mm. So using games in the classroom as a teacher, right. I worked at an English language teaching Language Institute, really. So the British Council Teaching Centre, where students would come, would pay for courses, and they would come after school or at the weekends uh, just to get extra English classes outside of the state school system. So that was that was basically my main job. Um, and, <coughs> and then additionally, I worked as a of um, in Barcelona as well so undergraduate students taking a three-year degree in tourism I would be uh, one of the teachers who would teach them English uh, during those three years and the first two years were generally um, general English and then the third year was English for specific purposes English for tourism Um, and then as I said that moved that involved me designing specialist sort of courses, if you like, um, related to English for tourism. One of which was this virtual tourism. Hmm. Interesting. So, not c- focusing on the virtual tourism uh, ac- activity. Let's look at the British Council in Barcelona then, as your 
as the main place that you work. So I think that's sure. that, that's that's fairly true. So yeah. in I think you've already mentioned this as well, but in terms of the use of games at the institution, let's say was it seventeen, eighteen years you worked there over those over that time frame, what do you think the the use of games how widespread was the use of games? Did it did it increase or did you see any changes in uh, what am I trying to say, like willingness to use games from teachers over that period of time? Oh, definitely. I think. Interesting. Um, let me think. So I started at the British Council around 2001 um, and worked there in Barcelona until 2013 as a teacher, as, a, mm. as an ICT coordinator, as a senior teacher. And the use of games by teachers grew exponentially, I think. Um, principally, I think it's usually because of the community, isn't it? Right, so okay. Nice. With myself and Kyle being very enthusiastic and myself being an ICT coordinator to, to introduce these lesson plans for teachers um, so they could use them um, in their classes. We started um, seeing more and more teachers were interested. So it started off with a, with a few teachers. They would talk to others, and then teachers would come up to us. Uh, well, myself really, because I was the ICT coordinator, and say, oh, um, "I've heard you've got some great lesson plans." <laughs> Sounds like a CD <laughs> drug deal. <laughs> yeah, keep, any more of know. those? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. How much? How much for half a lesson plan? <laughs> yeah and and so it's i think that enthusiasm rubs off when you you know when when the when you put so much into something because mm. you feel very engaged and interested enthusiastic about it and then you see the results of the students and other teachers um it's it's infectious infectious like mm. a virus yeah. but a good one timely a good virus, <laughs> a good virus. Um, but it's, it's i think it's so interesting that you touch upon this that you you like pull back the curtain to reveal like the the, the dynamics of like the institution like outside mm, the classrooms mm, in a way because and i i there's so much of the things you're telling them that i recognize from my own school mm, in this this uh right. like you said this yeah this um um enthusiasm enthusiasm rubbing off on mm. others um mm. Because a, a colleague of mine, me and a colleague of mine, actually worked as um, advisors on games and learning at my school for a couple of years, and doing much of the stuff that you you're telling that you you'd been did back then. Um, wow. So yeah, it's. I wish we had time to like really explore this like these institutional dynamics around this kind of this way of implementing games. Mm. It'd be so interesting. Graham, can I ask then? Would you say that sure. other institutions within the British Council within Spain were not as gung ho, or not 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 using games as much as your own institution. So you're saying that games were used more at your place because you had the community there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And okay. I think mm. um, the other thing was that we had we had a reasonable amount of freedom to do what we wanted and access compared to, to other places. Then, yeah, oh, okay. I think a lot of other you know language institutes were more sort of strict about what. Uh, I mean, within the British using... Council, though. No, no. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Um, within, you know, the okay. at least Barcelona in Spain, the you know the the schools system and, okay. and also private language academy, mm. they were generally more sort of 
you use this book and mm. we don't want to hear from parents, for example, yeah. that you're not using the book, etc. Whereas I think mm. the British Council are very much um, interested in helping and supporting teachers to develop mm. in ways, especially if they were providing lessons that were more effective for the students. Mm. So mm. to a certain extent, there was that. And, you know, I can't, you know, I may be wrong. There may have been other sort of hotspots of of this happening, but I wasn't aware of it at the time, and I'm not mm. aware of it now looking back. Okay. But I think mm. what, what did happen was we start, Kyle and myself started thinking, we need to tell more people about this. It can't be just this secret that we're keeping for ourselves and the teachers we work with. So we started talking in conferences about it, mm. starting at, in Spain, a couple of local conferences, one in Barcelona and then um, TESOL Spain, and then taking it to IETEFL as well uh, in the UK. And that's where we started getting, you know, more of a, more, you know, started, the enthusiasm started rubbing off and more teachers elsewhere, I think. Mm. Mm. That's when we we thought that there's a book in this and, and mm. I, we didn't see anyone else who was really trying to do anything with teachers, at least in our circle. Mm. Uh, the freedom you mentioned is so important for, for like, this, oh, yeah. this, this, this initiative to like, get enough air under its wings, so to speak. Oh, it runs through everything that we've talked mm. about on the on the origin story podcast. Um, everybody that's involved in in LLP as well. It seems that we have a decent amount of freedom to be able to to do these projects, and so yeah, uh, definitely I a think common it's theme. Important. Very important to allow um, teachers to innovate. You know, those mm. teachers who want to to be able to explore and experiment and try yeah. thing try things out. That's how things get so you know. Pushed. Yeah, they have, the boundaries get pushed. Yeah, they have to know to, to know that it's it's like safe to break away from like established established patterns of practice and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean there are some teachers who don't want to do that; they just want to do their job as a job. But I think most teachers, you know, if you you're in this for a long time, then you want to keep yourself interested and you want to try and do a better job all the time, get better. One hundred percent agree. Um, I. Mm. I was depressed as hell for the first three years that I had to teach with a, with a textbook. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel until I mm -hmm. decided to to start innovating and, and trying things that I was interested in. But yeah, that's I've already yeah. talked about that. <laughs> so, uh, next question, if you don't mind, Tobias. Sure. Yes, uh, could you elaborate then on a little bit of on how um, games used to fit into the institution and the curriculum where you, you worked? Like, uh, what kind of curricular goals did you use games to reach? Or mm. what, oh, about, more about what happened after the games were used? You mentioned a little bit of, like, do you have this, like, book ending of different uh, introductory and, like, post uh, activities? And so, so could you elaborate a little bit more about those? Sure. Um, I think what I used to have to do when I was ICT coordinator and was preparing lesson plans or activities for other teachers and their students, was to really look for things that map to the um, the syllabus of the mm -hmm. various levels that we were using. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, I think it's quite important that um, the wrong way to do it, and I have to say that, you know, 
I've gone off in the wrong track uh, a number of times was to you find a game and you think this is great and you design an activity around the game without really thinking about whether it is aligned or appropriate to the learners. Mm. 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 So you can be, if you find a game that you love, the danger is, it's the same, you know, if you're teaching with songs, you don't want to force a song on students. Mm. Unless there's something particular about the language of the lyrics, for example, mm. in that song. And it's you interesting. Also don't want to just choose a song that students like, but the lyrics are, you know, very poor. Mm. As far I as think it's interesting that you touched language. on the games we used to meet curricular goals that were kind of preset. That that's interesting. It reminds me of. Um, it reminds me of the definition of a game of, of uh, itself, how, uh, oh, sorry, the definition of play being the, the, the amount of freedom that you have within a certain space. So it seems like that you, you mentioned the freedom part earlier, but so your yeah. freedom to innovate was still kind of um, hedged in, if you like, by the curricular goals, which I think is, it's not a bad thing. Um, I think that, that, yeah. that that's fine. But the fact that you, you recognize the goal um, and were allowed to create your own, method of getting there um, with the use of games is yeah it's really interesting yeah i mean i think you know for example um there was such a variety of escape games or puzzle games with lots of different types of vocabulary be careful to pick one that um had vocabulary that would be relevant to um the lives of the students for example but also you wanted to adapt the walkthroughs so a lot of the walkthroughs were written as in click on this click on that then do this so there's two way of two ways of playing a game i think um one of them is you are a player looking at a screen playing a game in which case the language that you would use instructions in a walkthrough would be exactly that click on this then do that click on that or if you put yourself inside the game then, you know, you pick up the box, unlock it. And so then you've got interesting verbs. So a lot mm. of the things we would do was rewrite walkthroughs to, um, to really situate the player inside the game as a character in the game um, rather than someone playing a game. That was important from a vocabulary point of view, for example. Mm. Things like that mm. we learned about. I think yeah, you could you could go as far as to say, well, I mean, the British Council had these curricular goals for you already, but you could even use these adventure games to introduce certain cultural aspects if if it was something different to what yeah. they they were familiar with, you know, like I don't know some slang term or a, a particular. For example, in Japan, we have very interesting sounds that that ring when the uh, the crossing, you know, the the red light, green yeah. light. Oh yeah. When you cross over the street, there's sometimes they play like a little jingle and stuff like that. That could be a teachable moment. So, um, but anyway, I'm getting off track. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just I mean, if you think that there were games that we discovered that were very aligned with certain parts of the curriculum, for example, there was a game called Third World Farmer, um, okay, where you basically tried to survive. You were a, a third world farmer who tried to survive for a year, um, and. Um, there was a lot of reading to that, and there was a lot of 
potential discussion around all sorts of aspects. Um, and then there was a, not, I can't remember the name of the game, but it was a game about natural disasters where you mm. would prepare for something like a tsunami or an earthquake and then try to deal with the after effects and stuff. Um, so various things related to climate change, which was starting to become a hot topic. Um, things like that were interesting. Graham, I don't know if you want to keep that in the podcast. That that was a fantastic pun. Climate change becoming a hot topic. That was absolute... <laughs> oh god, <laughs> that was brilliant, yeah. mate. Well, it, it wasn't I... intentional, but keep it. If you like. <laughs> All right. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, that surprises me. I, I I had a kind of misconception, I guess, then that the British Council was very much CLT, um, in you know, inspired institution that was focused on getting students to speak and you know student talk time was the pinnacle but it sounds like it was a lot more um trying to think of the english uh shite Um, it it sounds like it was a lot more holistic (laughs) a lot more holistic than i was thinking of like you know touching touching on cultural um issues and things like that so the fact that you were able to find games to teach those as those issues as well is um yeah it's it's really really interesting and i'm i'm, I'm glad to hear that actually it, it's it's you know I don't, I don't know too much about the british council but i i didn't expect as much to be honest for some reason but that 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 is actually yeah it's really interesting to know yeah there was certainly that aspect of things in in the in the curriculum great yeah, yeah. oh my question uh, okay, so this is a really big one. I think this is one of the biggest ones of the of the lot. So it's, what roles do you think um, you or other teachers should play in uh, game based teaching? What are the roles of the teacher? What what kind of verbs? What what are you doing in the classroom? That is um, an interesting question. I think um, the roles of the teacher. Ooh, I don't know how to answer that, actually. Um, mm-hmm. It's a big one. Yeah. I think games should always be subservient to learning objectives. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as I said before, the, there's a danger when you introduce games into your teaching practice or your curriculum. Um, it's very easy uh to play a game with students and for them to have a lot of fun and then for the lesson to be over and actually for them not to have learnt anything. Mm. So I think that you really have to have your um, critical head on when you're making choices as far as um, what you're teaching students or what you're using in the classroom. So there's that. I think also... Um, how you use a game is interesting, you know, how much time the students actually play the game and how much time is around the game, as I said before. So course designer um, Mm -hmm. is definitely a, or lesson plan designer um, is a role that you need to consider carefully as a teacher when you're using games. Um, You know, is it worth playing 10 minutes? Is it worth doing the setup and just getting to play the actual game at home? Uh, mm. Which is something that is often 
worth doing. And so you're actually doing the pre-gameplay work mm. in the class and the post-gameplay work afterwards. Or you play, you give them a taste of it, and then they, you know, most of it they do at home. I don't think it's worth spending a lot of time playing a game um, unless you can justify it, you know, unless they're really getting something out of it. I think, you mm. know, one of the other podcasts, I can't remember who talked about, you know, putting, playing a game with students where you put them in pairs and having them spend a lot of time talking to each other and discussing what to do and making decisions together. Mm. That was Al- Alex, yeah. That's very valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of the time that, that um, you know, when we introduce games to students, myself and Kyle, that was what we were trying to do, get students to work in pairs generally. Mm. Mm. So there's that. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. That no, that's fine. Yeah. To really, but... mm. and you touched on a very important point, I think, on how you, when we introduce games, we... Re- we have to, it's it's good it's a good idea to remember that we introduce uh, an artifact or a designed artifact that in some ways um, controls or at, at least attempt to con- attempt to control the player like what they think about what they do and so and so on you like you're introducing someone an under actor or another agent into your classroom um, yeah and like you said that could easily if you're not prepared for this I haven't think thought thought this through that could very easily like veer your whole plant like plant learning trajectory totally off track. Definitely. Yeah, but if if you had if you had played the game yourself first, then you could get an idea of where they're going to end up and then move exactly. them there at the end. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly, what you yeah. do, right? Yeah. yeah. I mm. think the other thing for me, I think computer games are quite structured. So there is a, you know, you can kind of predict where you're going to go with a particular game. What um, other types of games, you know, when you're playing sort of tabletop role-playing games that are more sort of freeform where you have to allow the players a lot of agency and that's one of the um, things that makes them motivating mm. then they can go off in all sorts of different directions and tangents and then if you're facilitating that type of game as a teacher you you need to really be able to uh, be aware and prepared to accept the tangents that that might lead off into. Mm. Yeah. You have to be an improviser. Definitely. Yes, and. So, yeah, uh, now we're moving on to the next, next group of questions, which uh, concern the, the field or the community around uh, game-based teaching and game-based learning. So, first question is, um, what teaching communities are you involved, are you involved with? Like this, the LLP community, are there other communities around that you're involved with? Um, and yeah, in what way um, do you like, and in what way do you like interact and, and engage with these communities? Yeah, I'm involved with a lot of different communities. I think, you know, as I said earlier, I'm particularly involved in um, the Teacher Association IETEFL based in the UK. And mm-hmm. the Learning Technology SIG um, is something I was a coordinator, I'm now a newsletter editor there. Um, so that takes up a lot of my time and helping them organize events and, um, and other things related to that. There's also a wonderful community called Webheads in Action. Mm-hmm. It's been around since 2002. Um, Vance Stevens. Um, yep, I know Vance. Is great. Is, um, 
is leads on. That sort of recently had a resurgence. Um, and I was able to um, to play test one of my latest games with them. And then I came across, uh, as far as games are concerned, e- the RT- RPG and ELT Facebook mm-hmm. group as well, which mm-hmm. is generally a group of teachers based in Russia or Italy um, who meet every week to play test games and interesting wow that's an active community then very active very active and that has really sort of been a great thing to be involved in um um very active and through that i've also been able to present some of the games that i've been working on um at conferences that they've i think three events and there's another one in november that they're organizing so, and then the the other community that I've started engaging with is the Modern Foreign Language Teachers in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I've connected to a number of people through Twitter or through face-to-face that I've met and online um, who organise events. And they're particularly interested in escape room games, which is Interesting. why I sort of interest as well. Mm. Busy man. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> like like most teachers, I think we're ideas rich and time poor. <laughs> so yeah. need to, but I find it very difficult to focus um, on one particular thing. Um, that's my weakness, if you like. The thing that mm. I need to try and stop myself. Oh, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I, I always... Is, I always give, give myself an excuse by saying that I'm procrastinating by doing other projects, so it's okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, my I, wife is um uh, she paints and she's studying history of art at the moment so I've got, you know, a lot of a lot more free time for me to follow these interests. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm going to move on to this question. It's it's, it's a fairly abstract one, but um what d- would you compare your journey in the field of games and learning? Is it has it been a a long epic tale? Has it been a sprint, a marathon, or a leisurely stroll? Um, a, I would a, compare a twisty it, mountain track, you know. I would compare it to this being thrown into this um, mysterious sandbox, mm. massive world of a part game, part simulation, mm-hmm. um, and exploring it, trying to find a path that suited me, and and then deal with things as they come along. I think that's the kind of I kind of, you know, I think I've had a lot of changes in job, which is take, you know, um, for various reason, reasons, I kind of had a very big change of direction that took me out of the classroom in 2013. That sort of took me away from games for, for a while. Interesting. Um, but I found my way back there because the, the allure is very strong. Mm. Great. Mm. Yeah. Um, next question. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, re- I realize I spelled um, your name wrong on the doc. Um, I'll edit it um, up. Oh, let's, 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 uh, okay. Um, so last question in this uh, group of questions. So, uh, what do you think teachers? Uh, what do you think new teachers need? Uh, no, no. Uh, Sorry, James. Uh, it was it was correct already. <laughs> oh, then your name spelled wrong on Discord. 
Yes. <laughs> on, pur- on, on, on purpose. Okay. My bad. That was stupid. Wait, no. Your na- no, no, my bad. Your name is your name is also spelt wrong on Discord. Oh Jimmy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shut up and go home. <laughs> um, so I, 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 considering your background, uh, Graham, I, I suspect you have a like very interesting uh, approach to this question because what do you think new teachers need mm, to start mm. using games? So you already supervised or, or helped teachers like, get started. Uh, what what you, yeah. in your experience? What's what's the most like helpful advice you could give them, or like what else, or what other like starting equipment <laughs> do they need? Um, yeah, they they need to start by playing games themselves. Hey, the most mm-hmm. common answer. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they need to have that experience. There's you know there's very little point in trying to persuade a teacher to use games in the classroom if they don't play any games themselves. Um, mm. because they're not going to be able to have that experience of, you know. Um, I think that's the most important thing, really. And before you use a game with students, we always used to say, you need to try it out yourself. You can't just pick up a, a lesson plan and a link um, and take students into a classroom without knowing what you're doing. <laughs> It sounds obvious, but there were a lot of, <laughs> of teachers who felt they could do that. They need to at least sit down and try playing it through and think about their own students. And because every class is different, all students are different. What do they need? This, will this work with them? And put themselves in the shoes of the students. So that's really mm. it, I think. That's the most important thing. And then not be afraid, you know, to be... Yeah. Open yeah. to try things out and 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 to change direction. If it's not working, then do something else. Don't mm. push forward with something if it's really not working out. Mm. All right. Yeah. Very important point. Yeah. Completely. Completely agree. Okay, I'm going to jump to the last section then. Mm. So. These two are generally linked together, so I'm going to do question 11 and 12 myself. This is about your current projects and your future projects. So, Graham, could you tell us what your current projects are? I know you said you've got a few. So what are your current main projects, and what would you like to do in the future? Yeah, sure. Um, well, as I said, when I moved to, when I was in Uruguay, my job was, took up so much of my time and the remote teaching project. Um, required me to, and I had a couple of changes in job that moved, you know, I moved from being project manager, which I had to learn how to do, to being country director for the British Council of, of the Uruguay operation, which which was, you know, very time consuming. And since moving to Mexico, I had, I have a different type of job, which freed up some of my time. And was a you know I found myself being drawn towards um, the kind of extracurricular stuff that I used to do when I was a teacher, and I started seeing a lot of interest in escape room games. Um, plus, there was an explosion in entertainment and escape room games mm. at that time, um, which when I was in Uruguay I started, um, you know, going to the physical escape room games and thought this this is really interesting uh um turning your physical classroom into an escape room 
is quite an interesting thing to do. Um, you know, getting students to have. I mean, I'm all about trying to find things where have get students involved in experiences that are very memorable, mm. and not just sitting at a desk, turning the pages of a book. Um, those are not memorable experiences. My own experience mm. as a language learner, I remember the things that um, were very different mm. and had me doing things that were unusual. So I thought the idea of getting students to actually use a classroom and turn it into an escape room was, was something worthwhile exploring. So that's how, that's what started me off on that track and, you know, how to do that. And I found there weren't that many English language teachers who were doing that type of thing. Mm. There's a lot of use of game, escape room games in education for mm-hmm. subjects, but mm. not for English language teaching. But also a lot mm. of the subject teachers were doing what, you know, the kind of disguised exercises or tasks. Ah, yes, yes, yes. As games. So, you know, the escape room games that you need to find the number to open this box that's on my desk. Mm. And the number you will get by, I'll give you one part of the number when you complete this exercise on the wall over there. And another yeah. part of the number by, you mm. know, reading this and answering these questions correctly. Mm. Solve that, this equation. That isn't a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That isn't the game. But a lot of teachers, for a lot of teachers, that's what game is. It's a kind of, you know, the light gamification of Oui, tests, would you would you go <laughs> far as to say would you go as far as to say it's some kind of weak gamification veneer? Yeah. Okay. Of course. It's the <laughs> chocolate covered covered broccoli. There we that go. People talk about mm. definitely. My fa- my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's actually it's an it's another it's another story for another day, but gamification when it's actually really looking at elements of games that are interesting. Mm. Uh, and trying to apply them to the classroom. Um, that's another thing. But oh, I, I agree. Gamification yes, yes. Is, mm. got, is like a dirty word in, <laughs> in education for a lot of people now. So I think mm. that it's a tainted term now, unfortunately. But I would still like mm. at some point to go and do something around game design elements. And language teaching. I think. Oh, I think. I think there is. There. I think there's potential there. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think that the way, like you said, it's been implemented generally is a little bit, um, yeah, not not great. Yeah. So, so let's that, get back onto your top, yeah. your your current projects. So it's so the, esca- the escape room, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I started with, and I started with the Tisol Evio, um, Evio session right. two years ago. Did it again, um, and. Um, I am currently working on that as a book. So I'm going to self-publish a book. Ah, that's right, yeah. yeah. And it's around. It's the same type of book that Digital Play was. Okay, I see. So there'll be a kind of rationale, a background to escape room games, and how you can use them, and what the things to avoid, um, et cetera, in the classroom, using them online as well as in the classroom. Um, and some example activities and games. And I'm currently at the at the stage where I've got a number of different teachers playtesting the games. I've playtested mm. some with mm. other teachers, but what I wanted to do was have teachers playtest them with their students and give me feedback. Because mm. I don't yeah, want to put any game in the book. Like digital play, I don't want to put any game in the book that hasn't been played a number of times. 
right. changed after you know with students. I noticed your your Twitter post about that. It was quite quite successful, wasn't it? I've been overwhelmed. Uh, yeah, you know, in a positive way. You know, I've had hundreds, over a hundred and fifty teachers have volunteered to. Play so there's the definitely the some interesting escape rooms right now. Then. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. A lot of modern foreign language teachers, but also English language teachers from all parts of the world. Mm. They're interested. Um, so I'm I'm in the middle of that. Um, I would like to think maybe by the end of September I could self-publish it. Right. But it, a lot depends. I'm not going to do that if it's not ready. So I'll push it back if, if it's not ready. Mm. Okay. Cool. All right, we are, we are approaching the end of uh, this episode. Uh, so we just want to leave with asking uh, you where people can uh, learn more about you, yeah, your social links and all the stuff you want to throw in there. Uh, yeah. Sure. I think the easiest one, the easiest way to contact me is on Twitter. So I'm Graham Stanley on Twitter. Um, I'm on other uh, social media as well, of course, like everyone. Uh, I had... I had various blogs, but I'm not very active blogging. It's something I want to start up again. I've got a website, but it's pretty dormant at the moment. So I won't give that. So I think probably Twitter is a bit easier. All right, mm. Graham. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, for thank you for, yeah. no, thank you for your time, Graham. Conversation. Yeah. One one thing that did, did strike me that was interesting, the, the your... Oh, I know. I said we're supposed to finish here, but your use of flash games back in the day—the fact that they're free, no install, and short—I think that that's something that teachers really need to think about when it comes to using games in the classroom because yeah. they have this idea yes. that they, they have to use like AAA blockbusters, and it's like, nah, no, just use cheap stuff. That that's mm -hmm. why I transitioned to board games as well because it was cheaper, logistics were very easy, and mm. uh, yeah. I guess if I was a classroom teacher now, I would probably be looking at mobile games. Mm, mm, mm. Um, it's a similar type because of thing. kids have mobiles, right? That's exactly. Got. Yeah. I think that's the other thing you you need to be able to use the lowest common denominator for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, to be inclusive. Yeah, and what I often find works can work quite well is just using like the, a whole class approach. Just I just bring my gaming laptop to to school yeah. and fire away, and it often works quite well, especially mm. if I center like a discussion or dialogue around it around it. Mm. Definitely. That's another good way of doing it. Well, Graham, mm -hmm. um, honestly, it, it, it's uh, been a pleasure and you were definitely yes. one of my inspirations to get started in this uh, journey. Um, so, yeah, please keep in touch. Okay, great. And thank you very much for inviting me, as I said. And, uh, and also, you know, I'm quite, um, I'm very pleased at what you're doing here. Um, as I said at the beginning, I think... The more I get involved with it and the more I, you know, I've started only recently listening to the podcast. Mm. And uh, I think it's it's admirable what you're doing and, and filling a real need. Um, so that's great. And look forward to becoming more involved in the future. No, I really appreciate that. Yeah, just to riff on that very, very briefly before we go then, it, it, I think you've probably heard me and Jonathan talk about it, but we were kind of disgruntled or you know, we couldn't really publish anything on the, the stuff that we were doing. So we just decided to hack academia and start our own little thing. So, you know, free, open access, um, focuses on all games, has to have the teacher in, in the paper, else it, it can go in recall or something or a call journal. So... Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. so important for me. That's so important. 
you know, the more I'm sort happy of... with the way it's going. And, and again, like the walkthrough, the idea, it's, it's basically a, a game fact for teachers. Like, just tell us what you did. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yep. No, the, more, the, more, the more we can sort of bring practice and research together, mm-hmm. and not put up barriers or paywalls. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Graham, and I look forward to uh, your continued support. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah.